like Robert said, this will be a stretch. Uh, and my name is Coulter. Uh, if there's any of you I haven't met yet, uh, hopefully I'll get the chance to after the service. And I recently rejoined staff here. You know, working at the chapel, living in the village is too good. So sometimes you have to come back. Uh, and after spending the last couple years working as a counselor in North Carolina, um, I came back to the village and I noticed myself just flooded with memories. Um, people that I love, um, feelings that you have. It, it was three weeks ago, I was driving up and I, and I felt the, the, the familiar shimmy your car does when you're on a little bit of snow and you're shifting a little sideways, uh, which brought, brought me back. Um, and, and, and when I was driving, I, I remembered the first time that I saw Mount Daly in the ski area. I wonder if some of you guys can see in your minds the first time that you saw the ski area, the first time that you saw Mount Daly, and, and the beauty that's there to, to remind us every day of the beauty um, that, that we get to live in in this valley. The first time I saw it, uh, I, I, I must admit that I, I kind of had a, a funny view of it. You see, I, I had never seen a ski area before, uh, or at least not one so big. And so, so when I looked up and saw those beautiful, it was in September, by the way, that's a good detail. So when I saw those beautiful green ski runs all funneling down into a common point, uh, driving, driving our old Jeep up with my wife, new job, just coming to the valley. Hadn't done a lot of research about this area. I'd heard of Aspen, but really only from the movies, so I hadn't really known anything about it. And I saw what I thought was the weirdest way to harvest trees. Valley. I, I looked up at this beautiful ski area, and I was sitting there, and I was like, why would in the world would they log trees like that? Like, there's way better ways to do it. They could get some switchbacks in there. Uh, I mean, there's just, there's, there, are, there are better ways to do this. And, uh, and I got closer. So we're driving up Brush Creek. You guys know the drive. Getting even closer. And, and, I, and I had the point to, to doubt my vision because I saw the ski lifts. And I thought to myself, I was like, oh, well, that makes a little bit more sense. They probably attach the logs to the cables and drag them down. And I, and, and, and I, and I, and I would remember the moment, though, that somebody told me, it was probably Charlotte. She was the first person I met here. But I remember the moment somebody told me that that was a ski area. And then in the winter, that would look totally different. And that those lifts had a purpose that I didn't imagine. Now, I mentioned that I'd spend the last couple years as a counselor, so I'm going to do a little bit of goofy counseling. Counseling loves to come up with weird words for things. And one of the words that we use when people see things or have a faulty perception uh, that leads to some beliefs that don't serve them, uh, we call that a cognitive distortion. I didn't come up with the word. I know it's strange. Um, but a cognitive distortion is a faulty or inaccurate belief, thought, or perception that usually le leads you to a negative feeling. I'll give you a goofy one. You're feeling adventurous, and you step on Rafta. You're going for a bus ride, and instead of sitting in like, kind of like the solo seats where you feel like you're totally okay, not talking to anybody, you get in the back. You know the part where it feels like kind of a bit of a mobile living room, and, and you're facing each other, and you're not really sure if you're supposed to talk, or you look at your phone, or whatever it is, and, and you look up, and you notice that across the seat from you, uh, the person you're a thinking about talking to, whispers to their friend and says something that you can't quite hear. Uh, and maybe your cognitive distortion helps you write a story. The lens through which you see the world helps you write a story really quickly in your mind about what that was said. Now, you don't know what they said, but you might believe something 
you might believe that they noticed something about you that you hoped they didn't notice. Um, or if you have a really positive view of yourself, you might think that they noticed something really good. But, but the, the point that I think is interesting is that our, cle- our beliefs have a strong influence on what we see and how we show up in the world. In the passage that Marie read a little bit ago, we, we see how, how these beliefs uh, can show up and change. We're going to read verse 24 uh, again, just because I want to focus on it. And it said, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. They were pretty excited. They just spent two years or a few years following this teacher who they thought passed. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Why did did Thomas doubt? He had ten or so of his closest friends telling him, Hey, we saw Jesus. We know Jesus. We spent a lot of time with him. And, and Thomas is doubt. I, and and we, don't, we don't quite know why Thomas doubt, and I'm borrowing from, from some writers and some thinkers that have a little bit more wisdom than I do. But, but some people think that Thomas might have been more inclined to logic and reason. I think that that's an interesting thought for us in this culture, in this society. Uh, we love data-driven decisions. We love logic, which are good things, um, but I think they can clash. It might have been that, uh, that Thomas had a cognitive distortion, right? A lens in which he saw the world and in which miracles didn't exist. I don't think that's necessarily true, but some people think it's possible, um, especially given the fact that he spent a while following Jesus around, seeing Jesus do some amazing things. But he still doubted. Um, and some people say that he might have been afraid to get his hopes up. He might have been, that the the hope of Jesus being real, the hope of Jesus coming and shifting his lens, the lens through which he sees the world, the hope of Jesus coming and being true, that that might have been too big of a hope for, and that it was a little bit more comfortable for him to wait and check. Now that, that, that one resonates with me a little bit. I think we doubt when we are grieving, I think we see our doubts when we are in pain. I think we see our doubts when we feel lost and confused. Like we're, we're looking at things and the, and, and the, what we're taking in through our senses and through our minds just not adding up. When we're looking at ski areas and wondering, why would people do that to get trees? We don't need paper that bad. And so how did Thomas get from this place where he where he was doubting so intently to a place where he says, looking at Jesus, my Lord and my God. Let's, let's read verse 25 again. I know, I know we've heard it a couple times, but I, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. You know what impresses me about this part? He doesn't, he doesn't squelch his doubt. He doesn't hide it from the ten other guys. Right? Like, like, like if, if, you, if you had a belief that, that you held and you were pretty sure it was right, like you were pretty sure, and then, and then you came in and you were meeting with ten other people and they saw the complete opposite, you might not say it so loud. You might not be so forthcoming. But Thomas lets his doubts and his questions drive him back into community. 
think that's a powerful thing. When we doubt when we're in pain, when we doubt because we're confused, when we doubt because things aren't adding up, to let them drive us back into relationship with the fellow believers, with our friends that we respect, with people that care for us. And, and I think that we have, we have a question to ask ourselves here, too. Do our cognitive distortions, do our lenses through which we see the world, do they close us off to thinking anything else could be the case? Right? Sometimes I think we are so sure um, that we, can't, we, we, we lack the openness. And, and, and that's something that Thomas does demonstrate for us, is he, although doubting pretty strong, he does say that I'm willing to, I'm willing to see Jesus when, when I see him. And then verse 26, this is cool. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And through the, though the doors were locked, because they were still pretty scared, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he turned to Thomas and said, Put your finger here. See my hand. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. See, this is the other half, and I think this is a powerful piece. of Thomas did some right things. He let his doubt take him back into community. He let, he let his questions uh, be, be slightly open. But Jesus still came to Thomas. Jesus came and filled half that gap, more than half that gap. And, and it, I think it shows us that sometimes we can't do this on our own. I'm reminded of a part in Mark 24 Um, There's a father who's crying out to Jesus. Jesus is healing people and casting out spirits. And and this father's uh, son has a spirit. And Jesus says, with with faith, you can do this. Or this can be done, rather. And this father says, I believe. Help my unbelief. There's this duality of I believe and help my unbelief. I, I think this is the lens that Thomas comes from. I wonder if Thomas was there and remembered that father's statement. And so how do we have this transformation? How do we get to this place where we have doubts, where we have pain, where we hear horrible news, and we allow it to drive us into a place where we believe and we ask for help for our unbelief? I think the key here is, is actually right at the beginning of the passage that Marie read. Do you remember that? Do you remember what happened right before this piece? It's, it's that Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit. See, I believe God knew we were going to have doubts, knew we were going to go through pain, knew we were going to get lost along the way, knew we were going to be lonely, discouraged, knew we would have, need help with our unbelief, knew we would have cognitive distortions that didn't make any sense at all, and knew that we would need the Holy Spirit. Now, I will tell you, and I will be very honest, I'm not a theologian. And, and the Holy Spirit is one of those things that I think theologians should talk about because there's a lot of things that are a little bit confusing. Um, but I'm here. And so I will tell you that I learned a couple things about it. And, and one of the things I will say is that I was, up until about two days ago, I've been real wrong about the Holy Spirit. And, and one, I think, very powerful idea in, in that I watch Star Wars too much. And I think that I had, I, I think I had the idea that the Holy Spirit was this kind of cosmic, powerful, important, um, but a little impersonal force. You know, something when, when the story is about, uh, is at the very end, and you really need an extra umph, and, and you, need, you need this extra piece, that, that this Holy Spirit would come in and save the day. Right? That's, that's just kind of the, 
the idea I had. And, and what, what I realized in reading is that every time the Holy Spirit's referred to, it's personal. There's personal pronouns referred to. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit like a friend, a person, a person that he knows. Right? And these personal pronouns show us that the Holy Spirit is present and is, and is an entity that we can have a relationship with. And then, there's, and then there was another piece that I thought was really interesting. Uh, the Holy Spirit was given three tasks that come up most common. Uh, there are more tasks than this, but this is, these are the ones that were kind of the common ones. And, and th- these tasks were to guide, to teach, and to comfort. To guide, to teach, and to comfort. Now, now think about when we have doubts. It's when we have pain. It's when we get confused and we need a teacher. It's when we get lost and we need a guide. And it's when we get down and we need a comforter. I don't think it's a mistake that the Holy Spirit was being introduced at this point. And it sounds like a little bit like what you would want to tell somebody who was hurting. Our last story. Uh, my, my first car was, was maybe the worst car that you could give somebody. It was, a, it was an old Volkswagen van uh, that, that broke more than it ran. Uh, it, it was so bad that I, I actually stored a bicycle in it. I didn't really ride bicycles at the time, but I stored a bicycle in it because I needed a secondary mode of transportation and my primary mode of transportation. <laughs> and, and, it, and at first, I was real uncomfortable. I mean, I, I mean, it's a camper, but you don't really want to camp at the gas station. You know, it's, it's not the place. And so I was uncomfortable, but I realized that there was a radius around where my parents lived that I could be comfortable because I could get home, right? I could ride the bike. I didn't have a phone, so you guys that are thinking he could have just called, that wasn't a thing. And I, I remember feeling comfortable in that radius. But the problem with the, having a Volkswagen van is, is Volkswagen vans don't want to stay in any sort of radius, right? They want to go see other countries. They want to go see other states. They want to grow. They want to explore. And, like, I, I was just trying to get out of the county, you know? And so I think that I, it, it drove me crazy until I met one of my best friends. One of my best friends has this has this gift and and when he touches mechanical things they heal i mean i i'm not even playing he can fix anything and and that didn't seem important to me until i realized the freedom of not being alone on an adventure of not being alone on a trip of not being the only one responsible fixing something when this goofy old purple van broke on the side of the road and I think that that is a taste, a flavor, a little bitty piece of what it feels like to invite the Holy Spirit to ride along with you. See, I think, I think God wanted that comforter and that guide and that teacher to be with us. And I think it all begins, like Thomas, with, say, with turning our eyes on Jesus and saying, my Lord and my God, I believe, help my unbelief. Let's turn to a few minutes of silent prayer.